Hey, hey, Seeker, welcome back to the Awakening Her podcast. I'm so excited that you're here, that you found your way to this show. Today is a very, very special episode. I am sitting down today with my real life dear friend, Leanne Amanda. Leanne is an exceptional human being. I just love her to bits. We have known each other for quite a few years. I hired her, so I was her boss, and then she was my first life coach, and we've just done the dance ever since, being good friends, and I really love what Leanne is all about. So she is a trauma-informed love coach, and she's really about helping people create conscious relationships, knowing that the way that we relate to each other and the relationships that we create really make up the world and make up our life. So I just really love what she stands for. And she has such a beautiful way of speaking and sharing her gift. Today, we're talking about grief. And the reason why I reached out to Leanne to be on the show to talk about this is because just a few years ago, Leanne lost her fiance, James. And you're going to hear her talk about the story and talk about, you know, what that experience was like. And in addition to that, it was also a really big event in my life, knowing James, seeing them, how they met and their relationship. And I had just hugged him within weeks of him passing. It was a huge event in my life. It was devastating. And watching Leanne move through it and do what she does with life has been really, really inspiring. And I love today she talks so candidly and open about grief and about the different layers and aspects of it. So I know that no matter if you've lost a partner, a parent, a friend, a loved one, you've been touched by grief in some way and you're going to want to hear what Leanne has to say about this. It's so inspiring and so powerful. She also touches on the guilt that can come up if you have a good day or you are starting to move on or want to find love again, how to move through that. Also giving her best insight to how we can best be supported while we're grieving, as well as how to support people that are grieving, things that we can do, ways that we can help them in their experience. This is such a powerful episode with that and so much more. So before we launch in, I just want to give a little love warning that there is a portion when she's discussing James's death that she is very descriptive in sharing the story. So I just trust in you to protect yourself and just wanted to give that little warning. It is all set in love and she orchestrates it beautifully, but I do know that there are people who are sensitive to trauma. So giving love to you and I trust you to do what feels best for you. So without further ado, let's welcome Leanne onto the show. Hey Seeker, welcome to the Awakening Her podcast. I am so grateful that you've been led here and I'm excited for you that you're answering the call to manifest more magic in your life by mastering the law of attraction. So cool. My name is Talia and I'm committed to cutting the fluff and showing you exactly how to manifest more excitement, ease, success, abundance, confidence, love, and anything else you've been craving. So if you're ready to crack the code on manifestation, amplify your intuition and play in the quantum. We are now besties. Let's do this. Hello, Leanne. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here. I can't not smile looking at you. <laughs> 
This is my dear friend, Leanne. I'm so excited that she's here today. Um, welcome. Thank you. It's so good to be here. It's so good to see you. Yeah, this is going to be such a good conversation. And it is. It's so nice to connect with you. And we, uh, Leanne and I go way back. We work together. We've been friends for quite a few years now. And I have learned so much. You were my first coach. You were the first coach that I invested in with you, invested in myself, really put forward that, you know, focus and intention. It's something I've never forgotten. I've learned so many things from you, Leanne, and I'm so honored that you're here today and willing to share your light with all of us. Mm, Thank you. So can you start then by just sharing a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. Who am I? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, first and foremost, I am love. (laughs) And that's pretty much uh, the foundation of everything that I'm doing, which is caring so much about how love goes on this planet and helping people to create the love story that they want to write about. You know, like the, the opportunity of romantic relationship in this lifetime is so much juicier than we realize oftentimes or it's or it's inhibited by like certain patterns or um, dysfunction or survival mechanisms and and we get hindered by those things when we're unconscious of them and we we get blocked in what's actually possible in love and relationship to me is one of the most potent opportunities for actualization of self and other and who we are as as a as a species as as you know humanity um so what i'm here to do is um retire dysfunctional ways of relating and create conscious relationships it starts you know mostly at romantic relationships but i do work with all relationships and all humans relating um, so that we can create a harmonious, harmonious place together. I love that. That is so, it's so important because what I hear in that or what I'm present to is that, yes, you want to help people have amazing relationships and help, you know, um, shift or release or come to this beautiful place between two people. But I also hear that it's so much bigger. And I just got this vision of like, imagine if we all had these reciprocating, beautiful, growth-filled, reflective, you know, grateful relationships. Not that it's always sunshine and rainbows, but what I mean is that two humans relating, really honoring that and really using that as a tool, like you said, for actualization, for self-development, for planet development. Um, It is, that's such a huge mission that every single person can do their part in because we all have relationships, right? We all have relationships of different kinds. So thank you for doing such incredible work that really makes a big difference on the planet. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thanks for seeing me. I'm just receiving that. Yeah. I was sharing this with you a few minutes ago. There are so many things that I could talk to you about. And for everybody listening, make sure to go check out Leanne. I'll put all her links in the show notes. There's so many things that you are so brilliant at the way that you teach, the way that you speak, the examples and what comes out of you. I'm so grateful to 
you know, just be able to learn from your light and and pick up on and learn through you. Um, and and what we're going to talk about today is one of those things that you truly have been through something extraordinary that some people have gone through a, a, a you know a, a journey similar to yours, but everybody has been through grief in some way. So that's what we're going to talk about today and talk about your journey through grief, grief and telling your story and you know how you've been managing and um, what life looks for, like for you now and just kind of dive into that. And I'm really honored that you are willing to share because it is it's it's no surface talk. <laughs> this is the real stuff you know that we're going to get into. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, this is the deep, deep. And I think that the more we can normalize talking about it, the better. So thank you for wanting to have me on talking about this. Mm-hmm. So can you start by then telling us a bit of your story and a bit of why I'm talking to you about grief today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. So I had the dream life. I had the the business, I had the beautiful home, I had the man, I had my dream man, my dream relationship. We were madly in love. And we had just gotten engaged like three or four weeks prior. And we had um, a new client that we were meeting in Thailand. We were both coaching together. And um, we had built this incredible life around coaching together and separately in our own businesses. And we were in Thailand. We had just arrived in Thailand to work with this new client. We were uh, getting ready for the day. We were getting ready for our client's arrival. And um, James was really nervous. And so I led him through a meditation. And then, you know, having been a, a diver in a past life in the military, he was like, I need to go in the pool. I just need to be in the water. I think that's what's going to help me. And I was like, okay, I'm coming with you. And I'll just, you know, be around. And uh, we were in this beautiful infinity pool overlooking the jungle and the ocean on this little island um, in Thailand. And I was checking in with him, you know, tapping him on the shoulder and making sure he was okay. He, um, he was like practicing holding his breath. Like he just loved to be underwater. So he would hold his breath and he would just be in the stillness of the water and it would calm him down. And in trauma terms, we would say this is a, like a resource practice, like a a well-resource practice for your nervous system. That was something that really regulated his nervous system. And so, um, I tapped him on the shoulder. He came up to take a breath and I was like, Hey babe, how are you doing? And he was like, I'm doing okay. I think I need a little more time. Can you give me a couple more minutes? And I was like, okay. And then I turned around and walked to the edge of the pool. And he took a big gulp of oxygen. He went, and then he went back down into the water. And I was just taking in the beautiful scenery, the like hearing the birds and the, the monkeys and just looking out over the vista And it was just a gorgeous, like probably the most beautiful view I've ever seen in my life. And we were in this completely open concept, massive villa on top of this mountain. Um, And after a couple of minutes, I just noticed how silent it was. And I turned around 
And James was at the bottom of the pool, lying down. And it took me a moment to even take in what was happening because James was a diver for like seven or eight years in the military. And water was the place he knew, like it was his home. And so my mind kind of did this thing where it went, no, no, (laughs) this is just like an exercise he's doing. Like he's probably adding intensity to this thing he's doing, seeing if he can lay down at the bottom of the pool. And as I walked up to him, I noticed that his eyes were open and they weren't looking anywhere. And I plunged down to the bottom of the pool. pool. I pulled him back up to the surface. And when I pulled his head beyond the water, he was limp. And I could tell, like I computed in that moment that he was gone, but I also was in absolute denial and fight mode and just started, you know, screaming his name. I, you know, like propped him up against the stairs in the pool to hold him up because I wanted to keep his face above water. And I jumped out of the pool. I ran to get the phone to call the ambulance, which at the time I had to call the Airbnb manager to call the ambulance because I had no idea what the number was for an ambulance in Thailand on this little island And I just ran around every corner of the house screaming at the top of my lungs to see if anybody could come and help me. And finally, um, knowing that the Airbnb manager was going to call the ambulance, I I got a hold of her. Um, People started rushing in, like a couple of different people um, came in and they couldn't really understand what I was saying. They were tied, but um, they saw James, they saw me and they like backed away. They were like terrified of, to even get in the mix. And luckily, um, a few men who I could hear British accents when they, when they rushed in, um, one of them was a lifeguard and, and they, they helped me carry James out of the pool, put him on the, on the ground, on the tile. And we immediately started doing CPR. And this is the part where I don't know how much to share because um, this is not just like a drowning story. It's kind of gory. So what happens when, what happened to his body at least? I mean, like there was like blood pouring out of his nose and his mouth. Um, Like his eyes were still open. He was turning blue. Um, like it was just so clear that, um, like somehow he was already so far gone, but I would not give up. Like in that moment, you just don't give up. You, you like you scream at somebody to do CPR until, until you get what you want. And, um, finally the ambulance arrived. They intubated him on the spot. That didn't work. We got in the ambulance. we get to the hospital. He's still not responding. And you know, at this point, it's like, I already know it's too far gone, but I'm praying. And, um, we get to the ER and I'm told to wait on the other side of this room that he's in. And every like 10 seconds, my brain played tricks on me. And and I thought I kept hearing like a, like a taking in of oxygen. And I would like, my heart would skip a beat. And Every 10 seconds that that happened, you know, I would check like 
can somebody tell me what's going on? And, and nothing had happened. Nothing was different. He was still not taking any oxygen. And I think one of the other most difficult parts of this was that nobody really spoke English, um, except for one of the doctors in very broken English, you know, asked me to come and be with him. And um, so all of a sudden, you know, it was like I came into the, the room and he's, you know, he's like purple at this point and um, cold, cold as ice. And I just remember clinging on to hope even at that point asking them, what can we do? Can we cut them open? Can we fill them with meds? Can we like, what, is there anything we can do? And they were like, unfortunately, if he's not taking oxygen, there's absolutely nothing that we can do. And um, the doctor asked me, can we make the call? Like, it's been too long. There's, there's no way to come back from this. And I was like, what call? what call are you asking me to make right now? And he's like, well, we need to announce the time of death and he's too far gone. I need you to make the call to stop doing CPR. And um, in that moment, it was like, he was already gone, but I was still the one who had to make the call. And it was one of those moments where it felt so out of my hands and so completely in my hands at the same time. Um, and I just like, I, I can't even remember what I said. I, I honestly don't remember what I said. All I remember is that next they were like, okay, we'll give you five minutes to say goodbye. And in that moment, all of a sudden I had to go from planning our wedding and the rest of our lives together to the next five minutes. What do I need to say while I'm still with you for only five minutes? I thought I was going to get like at least 50 years with you. And now I have five minutes. And that was one of the hardest five minutes of my entire life. But that wasn't it. After that, after I gave my peace, I came out of the room and the Airbnb manager comes out and she says, your client has arrived and you need to go meet him. And I said, has anyone told him what has happened this morning? And she said, nope, you're going to have to tell him. And so after I gave a statement to the police, I was driven back to the villa, the very villa where all of this had just happened. Somehow all of the blood and everything had already been cleaned up by, you know, the, the um, cleaning ladies who, who were working there. And I walk in the front door and the client is standing there looking out at what to him is the most beautiful view, right? Everything all cleaned up and perfect. And I look at the floor, you know, next to the pool where like I had just been giving my fiance CPR. And then I look up at the client he turns around and he says, ah, you must be Leanne. It's so good to meet you. And in that moment, I think what I said was something like, um, hi, 
uh, James passed away just a couple hours ago. I'm sorry. And his, like, immediately he gave me a hug and he was like, what do you need? (laughs) And I was like, I need to get the fuck out of this villa because it happened right there. And it was just this flurry of, from that moment on, it was just a flurry of like, okay, you know, the Airbnb manager literally popped her head in and was like, don't forget to pick out clothes for James in the morgue. Don't forget to pick out, you know, what he's going to wear. And okay. Like, where are we taking you? Where are you driving to next? Okay. Like you got to pack up your things. And so it was like a mixture of packing up, picking out what, you know, my fiance is going to wear in the morgue now. Um, And then trusting this man who, you know, I was supposed to coach him. Now he's going to take me to the other side of the island where I'm going to stay and basically hole up for a week, not eating, not sleeping, um, like handling like the embassy or his um, autopsy. And like, it just became like logistics. It was just this rush of logistics. Um, So, I mean, it was interesting that. Luckily, I mean, I had this client here who graciously, you know, we kind of, yes, he took me to the other side of the island, but we kind of hold up together. And um, I had, you know, this person who spoke English um, and he was just kind of there, you know, like we were both just there existing. And, um, yeah, it was a little bit relieving to know that he kind of knew the area and was able to guide me through, you know, some of the processes that needed to happen. But yeah, I just, I was in a flurry of logistics without being able to really fully feel what was going on a lot of the time. James was important to a lot of people. James was an incredible coach and he influenced a lot of people's lives and there were the logistics of handling his death overseas and then there were also the logistics of handling all the people in his life that were either his clients or people he impacted or um people that were close to him um that that was something that i didn't expect either was how um how present he was for so many people and what that would entail, um, following his, his passing. Um, and then of course, when I came back, uh, it was, you know, like flying out to one part of Canada to, you know, have a funeral and then waiting a month to actually hold a a celebration of life in our home. Cause I wanted time to sort of, breathe before having a celebration of life so that, um, I gave people enough notice so that enough people could like show up and and know that they had time to plan around being present for this event to celebrate him. Um, and something really important to note though, was that I remember the day that James died and the client had, you know, taken us 
to the other side of the island. And I called my spiritual mentor at the time. And I was like, what do I do? Like just in total defeat. I just, I just said, what do I do? And he said, well, you're not going to like what I have to propose here. Um, but are you ready for what I have to suggest? And I said, yes. And he said, this is your call up into a new level of womanhood. Do you accept? And then I think I said, fuck you. And then I said, yes. And that from that moment on, I knew that that was the context, at least one of the contexts of my grief journey was like, no matter what was happening or how I was feeling, one of the contexts that was always happening that I was, I was stepping into a new level of womanhood or even humanhood or, or like person that I was supposed to be through this journey that changed the course of the entire journey was knowing that I had chosen yes to something that called me forward and called me higher. To have that be the underlying foundation of everything that happened from that moment forward was like the container almost. And that made all the difference because I knew that whatever I was feeling, I wasn't just feeling it for myself. I was feeling it for myself. I was feeling it and, and going through it for me. But it was also about becoming who I needed to become and trusting that this, this was part of it or it could be part of it. And from that point on, then it was like this mixture of, you know, handling the logistics and then the grief and the, all of it. And then that's when I started traveling. That's when I traveled like, you know, lots of the States and Central America and lots of Europe and, and just was kind of gone for a few years. Um, experiencing the world that's that's like the at least the beginning of what happened that's the beginning of the story mm -hmm. thank you for sharing thank you for being willing to share all that I'm so proud of you everything you've come through that you're able to share this story and and share it from a place of um caring and detail and presentness, but also I can tell you've done so much healing around it that it's such a service that we can talk about it now in a different way than you could than we could maybe in the following weeks and months, you know, because it was right. so traumatic in that time and and you've done so much work on yourself. So I just wanted to say that and thank you for that. Um, so I'm really curious about the the first few weeks after it happened, um, in addition to the logistics and the physical stuff, what was it like in your mind and in your head? And like, did you have a lot of questions of like, why the fuck would this happen? Like what, like questioning everything, questioning the universe and how this could happen to such an incredible person. Cause that's something that you touched on, but for everyone listening, like, James was such an incredible person and we all know incredible people that pass away. We know that it has nothing to do with how good of a person you are, how long you get to stay. But 
it was truly this thing of this person who's such a light and making such a positive impact in the world and so young with such big dreams and so driven and so kind and just loved his energy and everything that sometimes it's natural, I think, to go like, what the hell? Like, why him? Why now? Why you? Why? Why? So did you go through that? Did you go through a bit of that sort of questioning everything and being maybe even a bit mad at life? I was beyond mad. I was defeated because to me, he was like, he was the most incredible man I'd ever met. He was the love of my life. And it wasn't just how could this have happened to him? How could he be gone? How could the world not get him in the physical plane anymore? Like to me, it was truly a loss for the world. It was a loss for him. And then I was also like, why was my love taken away? Like, why, why would the person I just finished planning my wedding with taken? What is that? And, and so then um, to answer your question more, I analyzed it so deeply because analysis for me was a part of the sense-making process that allowed me to not feel it all so much at once. So I went into the analysis as, as like a real protection and, and, and a comfort. And um, I wanted to understand, I wanted to make meaning. I wanted to be able to say, you know, it happened for this reason, or this is why, or this is the bigger plan or, or like, I wanted to have the explanation. And one of the most painful realizations I had to come to was that I couldn't get the explanation. I had to just be with what was so. And when I surrendered to just what was, that was when I had to actually feel it and stop analyzing it. And it's natural to analyze and question and question and question, but ultimately that is um, a comfort rather than just being with and feeling. And when I got to the feeling part, that's when it was truly like, defeat. Like, I will never meet a man like this again. Like, I can't believe the world doesn't keep getting James in this way. Or like, his work was not done yet. And so all of, all of those things just really hit me. And I just had to be with the hopelessness, the defeat, the anger, and the hopelessness. Like, like, I still wonder what he would, whenever I'm like going through a certain situation, I'm always wondering like, what would James have to say about that? You know? And that, I don't know if that'll ever stop. And I don't think it has to. Um, but yeah, it's like, man, the world really, like, I'm sure the world is getting him in some other way that maybe my little human brain can't comprehend. And, and, you know, but right now, like, and always how it's felt is like, I still really want to know his opinion. I still really want him present. I still really want him serving the planet in the way that I knew him too. Um, and yeah, that that's that's still felt. That is still felt. I, I haven't reached a place where it's like, and this is why it happened. And here's what it meant. And here's what it was in service of. And here's why it's beautiful. Like the like the, just finding the little like cookie cutter way to fit it into this little thing. That's not at all what happened. I, I didn't come to that like realization or that meaning making. 
Um, nor do I think I ever want to, um, because that, that doesn't even fully do justice him or his story or what happened or what might be that I don't actually know, you know, like maybe spirit is doing something that like, I can't even begin to comprehend and to try and put my human language on it would just invalidate it. Mm -hmm. So, um, did that answer your question? Definitely. Yeah. Also, yeah. everyone knows these questions. They're just prompts to keep riffing. So <laughs> it doesn't even matter at this point. <laughs> um, I, I thank you for saying the analyzing part. And I, I had a friend who committed suicide when we were um, right after high school. We were, I think, 19. And it was a really, really big deal in my life. He was a close friend and he um, jumped off a bridge and it was just a, a huge thing. And it was almost exactly a year where I was not settled. I also didn't have the perspective I have now, but I, let's not pretend that that would have like saved me from any of it because I'm not even sure it would have. But I was very mad at life and kept going, why, why, why? Like he had a good life and he didn't occur to be like depressed or troubled and like, why, why, why? And I'd have dreams about it where I'd see him and I'd be like, why? And I'd analyze it and I'd talk to the people that were with him that night and, you know, talk to this person's brother who saw him and talk to this friend. And like, I was in figure out mode. I was, and that's, it reminded me of what you were talking about of just like analyzing and could anybody have done something different? And, you know, could this be the reason why he did this? And could this be, and at about the year mark, I received this download. I was trying to go to sleep one night and he was just on my mind. And I just heard, you will never know. And it wasn't like, you're never going to know why he killed himself. It was that, but it was also like, you'll never know. Like you're saying the grandness of all of this and it's not for you to know. And it was just this really distinct moment where I somehow put down, released the needing to know. Like I was searching, like I was going to find an answer. And it was like frantic searching to try to make me feel okay with what had happened. And um, after I put that down, I started feeling really sad. And it was like a year later, I thought I had processed that. But once I got out of analyzing mode, I started feeling the emotions more, which is like what you were describing. It just brought, I've never thought about it like that, but that was my process too. And I stopped that sort of figuring out and analyzing, trying to, um, the emotion began, the processing of the actual death began. And the deep sadness began because it was almost like I'm sad and now I know I'm never going to know why. It was almost more sad because until then I had the illusion that maybe I'll figure it out. Maybe I'll talk to the right person that has the answer as to why this happened. So what did you, what did you do to, like part of me wants to be like, what did you physically do with yourself? Like, yeah. and, and when I was your friend at this time, I was thinking that too, when you were still in Thailand in that week. And I was like, what the fuck is she doing with herself? Like, I felt so uncomfortable for you. And so like, I just wanted to be there. And I don't know, like, what, what did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, well, I spent a lot of time actually for the first couple of days. So I was, my whole existence comprised of flashbacks at that time. So in any moment, I was just seeing, you know, his face when I pulled his head up from 
under the water and his his head limp and his eyes gazing into nowhere and blood pouring out of his nose and mouth like that was all I saw and that was on repeat every 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 minute and I actually had a friend on zoom with me 24 7 to comfort me you know she's a lawyer so she's like doing work while on zoom and she's just like doing her thing literally just so that I can know that she's there so that I can kind of be okay with sleeping for maybe an hour. Or like, you know, even when I wanted to shower, like I would literally bring my laptop out to the outdoor shower and just like, she'd just be there. And what I would do is ask her to carry me through a conversation while I was showering. Cause I would just keep getting flashbacks in the shower. I was terrified. It was like pure terror and have just having her, there with me so I could have some semblance of like somebody being with me while I'm on the other side of the world. That was what I knew to ask for. That's what I felt like asking for because like I couldn't get my mind off of what I had seen. And regarding like any other moment that I wasn't on with her, like there was this, I was staying actually in this very nice hotel. Like it was very, very nice. I'm actually very blessed um, to have been sort of hiding in this like very, very beautiful um, little hut that had um, like a, there was a woman there who was the chef and she, she would come, she couldn't really speak English, but she would ask me like, she'd give me a menu and she'd be like, what would you like me to cook? And I was like, I don't want to Thing. Like for days, I was like, I don't want anything. And then eventually she, um, one, one lunch or something, she, she f- flicked the menu down on the, on the table. And she was like, you eat. And she just was like adamant that I was going to eat something. And I was like, fine, rice. Like, okay. I just looked at her. I was like, all right, I'll have some rice. And then like once a day, I would have like maybe three spoonfuls of rice and that was it. Um, I remember I went for like one walk along the beach um, and my legs were so um, like burning in pain while I was walking through the ocean just shallowly because I had so many cuts on my legs from when I was trying to get out of the pool to initially call for help. I slipped and fell so many times because I was wet and I kept scraping my legs and my legs were covered in scratches and they were just burning in the ocean. That's like one of the, the memories that I have of just like the one time I tried going in the ocean and then I was like, I'm not doing that again. I'm just going to hole up in my room And, um, yeah, like it was a lot of just like being on zoom with a friend to just, to just exist without the flashbacks and just have somebody sort of like looking over me. Mm. Um, and that was what was happening in between, you know, just like trying to handle logistics. I felt that staying there, um, for the time that we had originally, we, we had planned to be there for a week. And so I stayed there for that week to make sure I had taken care of everything I needed to take care of logistically um, before I left. So I, I only left once I felt confident that, that the logistics had been handled. Um, yeah. So that's what I was doing. That's what I was doing with myself. Yeah. This is a really, um, this is so good. 
the that you brought this up and I love that you said that you had a friend on Zoom like 24 hours and you said that that's all I knew how to ask for. And I just want to stay here for a second because you were already a coach. You already had a high level of education, training, experience with coaching, with helping people, with living your best life, overcoming things. You were, you know, working through your own childhood trauma and your own limits. And like you'd been knee deep for a bit. So you had access to a lot of tools. And I love that you said that's all I knew how to ask for. What about for people who asking for what they need is not their life's work? It's not what they necessarily it doesn't come easily to them. When you're grieving, what are some words for people either to try to ask for what they need, even if it's the simplest thing, or for the people outside supporting them? That's two slightly different things. How can we best support people who are saying like, I don't need anything, but you know, they do. And the person that's in it, how do you ask for what you need, even just the smallest thing? Yeah, that's a great point that is starting to be brought up more with grief. So yay. Um, How do you ask for what you need? Something I'll say with that is that sometimes you have to ask for the thing that you think sounds too big. So I don't know if other people feel this, but I often had the experience like whatever I actually really wanted to ask for was just too big and I couldn't ask for it. And maybe that's just my own stuff. In fact, I do know that a lot of that is tied in with like my relationship to asking for help and going through some growth in that area. But um, if you can think of something that is actually the thing that you want, and because often we can think of something that we would actually need or want, it's not that that's the hard thing. It's that we don't know how to ask for it because we think it's too big. That's actually what's usually going on. So ask for the thing that's too big and ask it until it gets met by somebody who's willing to meet it. And then for the people who have somebody grieving in their life, like they're the person who'd be in the supporting role. My, my friend, Jason Gill, he said it best, give people options. Hey, I know you're hurting. Which way would you like me to help you? Would you like me to go grocery shopping for you? Would you like me to come cuddle with you? Do you need some cash? Like, how's your sleep? Do you want me to come help you sleep? Would you like me to come cook for you? Like give them options. Like that was one of the coolest distinctions that he gave me while I was while I was in the thick of it. Um, and I'll I'll pass that to as many people as I need to, because it was just so brilliant. Um, yeah. So it's not usually that we don't know what to ask for, or it's that we are scared to ask for what we really want. And then give people options. Mm. Yeah, I really love that. For the people supporting, gauge what your capacity is for helping. So I found that a lot of people didn't know how to be with my pain. Mm -hmm. They got like wigged out by just simply not being able to comprehend what I must be going through. And so for that reason, they actually kind of made themselves scarce. Like they kind of just like backed away And I understand why they did that. I totally do. Like, how could I possibly be there for this person? I'm probably going to say something that's going to upset her even more. Maybe I'm going to do something wrong. Like, like people, I think, got in their heads about whether or not they could support me. And so they just kind of like weren't there. 
And I, I remember even calling just one of my friends and I was like, Hey man, I haven't really heard from you. Like, I need you. Where are you? And she was like, I'm just so scared to mess up in supporting you. And I was like, dude, I love you. I need you here. If you screw up, it's okay. We'll just get through it together. I just need you here. Like, don't worry about getting it wrong. Don't worry about helping me out in the wrong way. Just be here. Mm -hmm. And that was a really beautiful interaction because she so brilliantly just like spoke the thing that probably so many other people felt. And I got to just say like, please fuck up so that I just know you're trying and you're here for me. And I got, you know, my pal, I have somebody. And uh, I think when people are willing to just show up and just say, Hey, I need, I want to be here for you. I might mess up. I might upset you. I don't know how exactly to be with what you're going through, but I'm here and Mm. we will get through this together even amongst my, my screw ups. And that I think is the best thing you can say to somebody going through unimaginable pain to just be with it. Mm. It's kind of like, you know, opening the conversations, like, you know, Brene Brown talks about like daring leadership and how like including really difficult conversations in the workplace about like race and gender and, and all these political um, topics it's not about avoiding it as a leader. It's about saying, hey, I'm going to be bringing these things up. I'm going to be moving closer to a more inclusive workplace and I'm going to stumble. I'm going to say the wrong thing. It might be politically incorrect, but it's all in service of learning so that we can have an inclusive and safe work environment. It's kind of like that. Mm, I love that. When you, when you say that and I just picture myself or someone else saying like, listen, I want to be here for you, but I have no clue how to and I'm scared to mess it up. That even gives me relief if I was the person saying that. It's like it makes everyone's shoulders drop because now I'm sharing, I am for here for you. I'm being vulnerable saying I don't know how to handle this, but it also takes yourself off the hook to kind of, once you say like, okay, I might mess this up, but I'm going to show up. That's an empowering feeling too. You're not standing back going, I should support them, but I don't want to. Like that's not a very empowering place to be. So it's like both people get to... um, have a little bit more, um, I would say power, but strength, I'll say in the situation and what their roles are is like, I don't know, I'm going to fumble, but I'm here for you. And I agree as far as other topics, gender and all these different things is like, don't be afraid to mess it up. I think that that's when you show the most authenticity and bravery and people respond to it because they see you as a human that doesn't want to mess it up and just wants to be there. So that's, that's brilliant Mm -hmm. advice. Mm. Yeah. And you know, as a friend, don't put all the pressure on yourself to be, um, you know, like therapist level support. Like Mm. when you go through grief, sorry, but you need to do some therapy. Like you need professional help. Like it's just what's so like, as soon as you make peace with that, you need professional support and that that's normal. Um, it also, like, yeah, take the pressure off yourself as the friend to be that role. Um, and, and let's just normalize like the very, like I, I have sought so many different types of like therapy and support and, and just like assisted awakenings through this process, um, that I don't know how people could just not do that. Like, let's just normalize, you know, 
see an EMDR therapist, see a somatic experiencing practitioner, see like go to whoever so that you can be well sourced and have a team around you. And then your friends are also there to like show up however they're going to show up as long as they're there, you know? Mm. Um, Yeah. I really want that normalization of support and, you know, like I, I had gifts where there would be people who'd be willing to like support me for free for a while. There, there were people who like I, I paid for their services um, you know, like there are options, but I just, I really believe I'm so passionate about normalizing. Like when you go through grief, you deserve to have somebody shepherding you through that and holding you through that at like an educated capacity. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I would have done without all of the people who um, supported me in a professional capacity. And who st- still do, you know, like I still, um, I still make sure that I'm going to therapy regularly to make sure I'm working through like, a- and somatic work, like I'm working through any and everything that's like still left in me. And I'm assuming that that'll be happening, you know, forever. Cause I'm a human who just keeps accumulating things. Right. So, um, yeah, that's, that's just a, a necessary part. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't agree more. And I think that a lot of people do it alone, especially grief. Um, people think, well, you know, everyone has people that pass or if it's their parents, it's like, oh, that's just the circle of life. Like I don't need any special attention about it. You know, I think it's just easy to discount how worth it, not just the therapy is, but you are of navigating and being supported and gaining new tools that you didn't know and having someone hear you and being able to cry and process and like you are worth that you're Mm -hmm. worth that help and I just I love you saying that so now that you're a few years past this the initial event um I would like to know some of your general reflections on grief now that you have firsthand experienced it. Like what, what are some of those reflections that have kind of come over the last few years as you've processed this and moved through it? Definitely. One of the first things that just showed up for me was the allowance of joy. So something that became clear to me like a few months after everything happened was that my joy was allowed. It's allowed. I'm allowed to have an amazing life despite what happened. And even because of what happened, um, that, you know, I remember giving a talk like maybe like half a year after he passed, I was giving a a speech and, um, I was, I was talking about this. I was talking about my process because I was still quite in the thick of it. And I was, I was, I was allowing myself finally to start feeling joy. And um, a woman came up to me at the end of the talk and she said, my husband died 12 years ago and I still struggle with letting myself feel happiness. And it wasn't, she didn't say I struggle with finding happiness. She said, I struggle with letting myself feel happiness. And one of my, one of my biggest reflections with grief is that um, not only is joy allowed, but joy honors that, you know, that person passed symbolizing how brief this life is. 
And it's just a reminder that joy is your birthright and that we don't have, we don't know how much time we have. So you find that joy, you grab onto that joy and you let yourself feel that joy. And it's not anything to be ashamed of, or it doesn't mean you love that person any less. It's, it's that you loved that person, they passed and life is short and you find joy. And like the, the joy and the grief are not a, um, either, or it's a yes. And that's the biggest one, uh, that, that shows up immediately. Um, do you think think that people can't, can't, um, feel that joy because they think that if they were catching themselves and smiling or laughing or appreciating whatever it is that they somehow aren't sad enough? It's like totally your partner passes and then you are laughing with a friend and all of a sudden you realize like, wait, I should be more sad. This must mean I'm not caring I'm a terrible person. Mm. Yeah. It's like, I'm a terrible person. I'm a psychopath or I must look like a psychopath or something. Mm. Um, there were so many moments where I just let myself, like I was already lucky enough to have done a lot of work on myself when this happened. So I feel like I generally had a pretty free spirit at that point. Um, like, you know, thank God. But, um, there were so many moments where I was like, you know what? I, yeah. I'm just going to let this, this like laughter come through me. Mm. I remember, um, the day of James's celebration of life. And yeah, it was like a month or a month and a half after he died. And, and, um, a couple of women showed up who we were like the four musketeers in high school. We went through like home ec together. We like hung out. We were just like the four nerdy girls who would hang out together. And, and the three of them showed up And I hadn't seen some of them in a very long time. And I remember um, we all went into the bathroom and I'm in this like big, beautiful home that James and I used to live in, right? And I'm in the bathroom and they're like some of the first people to arrive. And one of them was sitting on the tub. Another one was leaning against the shower. Like one was kind of leaning against the countertop and I was just like putting on makeup. I don't know why I was putting on makeup because I was obviously going to be crying like immediately after, but yeah, I was right. Like doing my hair, like, like things that like didn't, I don't know why I did these things to prepare for the celebration of life. Um, but like they were cracking jokes. They were just like, they were being in levity about, you know, remembering something from like some ridiculous high school class or something like that. And we just shared this laughter. And I knew that like a couple of people were out in the living room and could hear us laughing. And I just had this moment where I was like, yeah, I need this laugh right now. Like I'm about to celebrate the life of this man who at the time I'm like, this is my soulmate. He's the only one I got, you know, like that, that level of severe heartache, like you bet your ass I'm going to laugh at this joke right now. Are you kidding? Like, otherwise I might erupt and like explode and just like, you know, disintegrate. And so just letting myself laugh with my like high school nerdy gang and just be in that, um, that moment was actually so important to me. And even when I chose, um, you know, like four ish months after he passed, to just go travel the world. 
that was also me being like, you know what? Yeah, life is short. I want to see the world. I I don't know how much joy I'm going to feel while I'm traveling, but I certainly want to feel everything. I want to see everything. Um, I want to be full. And um, that was a part of it too, that allowance of something other than just pure devastation. Mm. I just, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I really see and believe that we block our ability to feel joy all the time. That's kind of like anyone's problem. (laughs) It's like we (laughs) all have resistance, trauma, beliefs, all the things that block us from feeling our joy. And something like grief, it's like we block our joy the more something logically makes sense that we should block our joy. Like, you know, we get a big bill or we have a health diagnosis or we are in debt. And it's like, I can't be happy because that logically you know, there's bad things going on. And I can't think of something more prevalent than death that you shouldn't feel happy because it's bad, because it's big, because it's sad, whatever it is. There's like, our brain is kind of what I'm saying is like, there's so many reasons at that point to block your own joy. And so that's such a powerful realization that you are allowed to feel good and get lost in laughter. And if anything, everyone with you would have wanted nothing more for you to be feeling that, you know, like if I would have been there at that moment, hearing you laughing from the bathroom, I would have been like, oh, great. This is, this is what she needs. But in your own head, I could see it's, it's easy for people to think like, I can't do this. I'm supposed to be sad or people are going to think I'm being disrespectful or whatever. And I just love that you're saying that allow yourself to find the joy when it starts to bubble up and creep up again. Well, you know, you're going to have people telling you, you shouldn't feel that joy. Like shortly after that laughter with my friends, a family member of mine rushed into the bathroom and like pulled me aside and was like, Hey, I think you should like, she was kind of like, Hey, you need to be talking to other people. You need to be making the rounds. You like basically telling me what was proper and how that laughter was not proper. And to have a family member of mine do that to me in that moment, um, I had to face for myself, like, wow, other people are going to be really uncomfortable with my joy too. This isn't just about me letting myself feel joy. This is about me letting myself feel joy, even when other people think it's crazy or, or impolite. Mm-hmm. God forbid it be impolite that I laugh in the midst of feeling this pain. And that was something that was a common theme. I think a lot of people saw how, um, like I continued on to feel pain and joy. Like it was, I think it was quite, um, present like through my social media like yeah I went traveling yeah I experienced things I posted learnings I I had a lot of goodness that was happening in my life and I think that irked a lot of people and I think it was um there were even people who made comments to me about how like strange it was and my only response was like okay great go through what I went through and then you you do you (laughs) like you see what you feel like doing And, um, I, I appreciate that you think this is strange and I'm allowed joy. I'm, I'm just going to do me. Mm. And, um, people will disagree with you when you find joy in the middle of grief, people will. Mm. And, and that's just something to recognize and that they just don't, they either come from a different belief than you. You know, one of the people who expressed that, that disappointment in me, you know, she comes from a very different culture. 
as well. Um, and then other people who expressed it, you know, they just, they just haven't gone through that or maybe they, they're just from a different time or, or context in their life. And people are going to try and force their opinions of how you should grieve. Um, just expect that and just keep doing you. Mm, yeah, I love that. It was very, um, I'm just going to talk for my own um, perception of, of being around you was it was very shocking the way that you were handling it because in a good way as far as like I I didn't even know how to process what you must have been going through but I was I don't like to say impressed because that implies that it's impressive to deal with grief in this way or that way and that's not the way it is it's all acceptable and it's Mm -hmm. all perfect but there was some things that you did where I was really surprised at your level of integrity and your level of commitment to growth and, you know, to continue on, if that makes sense. So one example just quickly is when you and Phil and I, my husband went for a walk um, to Little Qualicum where we went for this beautiful walk around um, this waterfall and all this, this foresty West Coast walk. And there was a point where Phil, he did something where he was like cuddling me or we're giggling. And all of a sudden I had this moment of like, I don't want to be giggling and cuddly because like Leanne's just gone through this thing and like I'm rubbing my relationship in her face or something, some weird like discomfort. And you didn't seem phased by it. And then at one point when we were back at the car, you said to me, I don't even know if I asked or what, but you said, seeing Phil in you is so inspiring to me. And I remember going like, what? I had been spending this whole walk feeling bad, feeling like I don't want to trigger her and I don't want it, whatever, right? Trying to figure out how to support you and whatever. And you said, no, it shows me that that deep love is possible. And that's just almost it. Like it's possible. And it wasn't that I'll find it again or that I'm happy. It was just like, you're showing me that this love is possible. And I thank you for that. And I remember sitting there going like, I can't even imagine how she could be processing this like that. And so I just wanted to sort of acknowledge too, is like your commitment to growing and not staying in victim. And I know that there was a lot of darkness and messiness and it wasn't like you were always this transformed being and all this stuff, (laughs) but you really had a high level of I can't quite describe it, but it was it was very remarkable. I remember sitting there going, holy crap, like whatever's going to come out of this as the years go on with her, she is just going to grow exponentially through this because I could feel that. And it was just so amazing to watch you go through that, even though it's not what I'd ever ask <laughs> to watch you go through, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't, I can't really comment on why or how I said that or, or what gave me the ability to say that. But I just, I remember that moment and being like, okay, one of the things that I've been afraid of since James died is that I won't be able to find that. So when I see you and Phil together, it's not like, oh, don't rub that in my face. It's like, thank God, thank God. (laughs) Like I, Uh, I got a brief break from the impending doom I've put on myself, which is like the belief that no men out there are going to make me as happy as he did. Mm. Um, And seeing Phil make you happy um, reminded me 
maybe even for like one of the first times since that all happened that um there are other good men out there you know like I kind of lived in a world where I thought I I had the best dude you know like Mm -hmm. I just I somehow landed the best dude and we were gonna have our life together and thank thank god I'm done looking and then when he died I was like man I don't know if I get another chance. I don't know if I get another go at this. I don't know if anybody is going to make me feel the way that he did. And um, seeing you guys together, I was like, well, he makes her feel like that and he's not James. So mathematically, (laughs) like there's got to be another one. (laughs) Statistically. (laughs) Statistically speaking. (laughs) You're in the back of the truck, like doing math. (laughs) That's her coping. It's all good. Pulling up my calculator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's um, that's absolutely incredible. I, I just want to add to that. You know, something that I found was that I was going through so much pain that one of my coping mechanisms was to look for the goodness. And I love this coping mechanism of mine. It makes life much easier and much more wonderful. It's like, even though it's a coping strategy, um, and sometimes it has me bypass feelings until I catch it. Um, like when something bad happens, one of my go-tos is to be like, what's the silver lining? What's this teaching me? Uh, like what goodness comes out of this? And then it kind of lets me not have to be with the full pain of something. Mm. Um, so it's kind of like a little break. But in the end, I always find that it it doesn't really feel like a coping mechanism sometimes. It feels like I'm just finding another truth of life. Um, yeah, sometimes it really doesn't feel like I'm just avoiding a feeling. Um, it feels like I'm just, I'm asking a valid question. Yeah. You know? And what do you think now about the possibility of finding love after losing someone for yourself, for other people that say the same thing. Like, what if I never find it again? What if, and then coming back to the feeling guilty, I can only imagine if you started feeling ready to date or, you know, someone starts wanting to find a partner, it's a whole other potentially wave of guilt and things that come up because how dare you move on or whatever. What do you have to say around all of that? Yeah, there are a couple of different components to that. So the first thing that actually um, came up for me, which I think people resonate with this more than they speak, which is not necessarily the guilt of finding another partner, but more like, how will I not compare future partners to this person? Mm. How will I not compare everything to James and have him be the measuring stick? And um, what I chose to do was... I did use him as a measuring stick, but in a one very particular way. Um, Everything else, I chose to, you know, let whoever I was dating just be their own person. But the one piece I would measure them up against with James was, you know, James, the thing that he gave me was a whole different depth of understanding of what I deserve in love. Like he, like he made me feel like I deserved the world. And he looked at me like I was a miracle. He would look into my eyes and just see my soul and look at me like, like, man, I'm so lucky to have this woman. And that is the thing that I learned from him that I take with me is like, 
does this person respect me deeply? Does this person believe in the magic of love just like I do? Does this person like co-create the butterflies with me because they're available for that level of intimacy and love and magic? Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing that he left me that I now get to like use as a measuring stick. Nothing to do with like, is this person like James or is this person better or worse than James? It's just like, it's just an opportunity that James gave me to learn what it feels like to be partnered with. Like I always wanted a partner to like share that type of love with. And then when he gave that to me and co-created that with me, that left a mark on me forever. It was like muscle memory. Like, yeah, now I know what this level of love and respect feels like. I'm going to take that with me so that I know, I know what that feels like going forward in my body, in my heart. Yeah. Which can help you. It's almost a way of integrating what they were with what the new life is. It's like, you know, in the way that you, you would say anything in life, you know, what would James think here? It's like, what would James want you to do or be, you know, now? And he would want you to have love and experience love, but he would also want you to know your fucking worth. And like, just knowing him, he would want you to be treated like that, um, beautiful being that you are and that we that you're deserving of right to really see you and love you and hold you and acknowledge you he would want you to have that level that standard going forward so it's kind of like honoring him at the same time as you move forward in life in relationships yeah that's the that's the component that I think um is really important when considering like, oh, the guilt of like finding somebody else. Like you integrate what, what gifts that person gave you and, um, and what they're standing for, for you. Um, but yeah, as far as the guilt of finding a new partner, I mean, you know, everybody's going to process that differently. I think for me, I'm, I'm my own person. I can't speak for anybody else in, in their version of this, but, um, at some point, I guess I just, it wasn't about, it didn't feel like guilt for being with anybody else because I just wasn't, I wasn't replacing. Mm. Like replacement was not taking place and that's why guilt was not present. Mm. Um, Like I was experiencing life and living and loving life and anything under that umbrella, which I had already chosen to gift myself the permission to do, um, that was always okay. I didn't have to feel guilt for any of that because that all fell under the umbrella of letting myself have joy. Mm. I love that. Good job. I could imagine people struggle with that maybe forever after that, that feeling bad that you're allowing yourself to have a new relationship or move forward. Um, That's really a great insight. So for anybody that, as we sort of wrap up, like for anyone, first of all, if there's anyone that is listening that has been through something similar, have lost a partner what do you feel like is sort of the most important things for them to know and, and understand as they move through this grief? 
dig into your community of support and know that your healing is a project that deserves a team. It takes a village. Please don't do it on your own. There are so many beautiful healing modalities and professions. Like we as human beings are so magical. Like when you think about the amount of people that have gone into professions that are specifically for healing the souls of other people, like that is probably one of my favorite things about the human species, right? And and like we or the human race, like it just allow yourself to benefit from and experience and relish in the the different healing modalities that we that we bring. Mm-hmm. It's 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 going to give you what you need and it's it's probably going to open up a whole other depth of who you are. When you go through grief, I found with me um, losing a partner especially grief and trauma, right? Because like for me, a huge part of this is not just grief. It was trauma because I was there and because of what I saw and experienced. Um, It's an invitation for you to feel life more deeply. It's an invitation for you to learn. It's an invitation for you to go through something. And, And life is a series of either feeling or numbing. A lot of people really want to numb and dissociate from the human experience if it's not laughter or ecstasy. Like we just, we numb and dissociate with like eating or with Netflix or with drinking or with whatever we're, we're choosing to not feel with. And grief is something that kind of deepens your experience as a human and, and deepens you as a human. And to allow that to happen to you and through you, um, to me, is a part of living life more fully, experiencing life more fully, mm-hmm. like using up the, this, this experience of life that you have. Like use it up, mm-hmm. lean into it, use it up and allow it to deepen you, deepen your capacity, deepen your experience. Let it point out to you where you numb and dissociate. I mean, like (laughs) you're totally allowed to, you know, want to numb some experiences of grief and you'll go through it in chunks, right? Like we process grief in chunks. That is true. (laughs) We don't feel it all at once and that would be just too much. But um, yeah, let it show you where you've really stopped feeling life, like Every single person listening to this podcast has some way they numb and dissociate everybody. Mm-hmm. And my invitation is to just feel, just to fully feel and just be with the feeling and let that deepen you and deepen your soul. Mm. I love that. It brings up for me the focus on not the doing, but the being. And I think we often want to do things to either fix it or to numb or whatever. I think it's great that you say to allow the grief to show you where you numb and dissociate. And that's a beautiful part of life because we are humans. And I do believe there's not an emotion that we have that we're not meant to feel that doesn't deepen us and bring us closer to spirit or yourself or your soul or to each other. To each other, beautiful. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, that's huge. Um, how did James's passing sort of alter or impact your awakening? What did that kind of do to your belief systems and the way you saw life? <laughs> um, one of the things that it, it awakened in me the most deeply was it didn't happen all at once, but it was this slow um, giving up of caring what other people think. Mm. Um, it was just this like, just this, um, when you, when you let yourself have joy in the middle of grief, you kind of let yourself just be you. And with that comes the slow development of letting yourself be you, no matter who's watching or no matter who's saying what about you. Um, at least that was my experience. And so the the further I go through it, the more I see that one of my awakenings is like the, the not giving a crap, mm-hmm. um, which as like a recovering people pleaser was one of the most beautiful things to receive. Um, also, James connected me with a lot of really beautiful people before he died. Like he he introduced me to some communities of people that, I still love and cherish today and will likely cherish for the rest of my life. Um, People who, you know, those people happened to introduce me to other healing modalities that, that changed my life. You know, like it's kind of like he, he prepared me by connecting me to these very important people who led me to all these different answers. And um, one of the biggest things that, that came through was just, the further evolution of self through connecting with these people, being connected to such um, wise human beings that I was able to continue my development and evolution through those people. Um, yeah. And the, the other awakening that I had that was probably um, one of the most unique to my experience was that because James and I did a lot of work together in the beginning of his grief journey, I was like, man, how do I continue his message? How do I, um, you know, keep doing his work for him? And then I realized, man, like he's one piece of my story, but this life is mine and I got to keep doing what I love and believe in. And that somehow will indirectly, you know, honor him. But the biggest way I can honor him is just live this life for me rather than fuss about how I can continue his work like that was a really unique thing to me maybe maybe other people will resonate with that but it was like a hey he's one part of your story you've got decades left um claim your own passion and that has allowed me to just sort of let go of whatever perceived expectations I would have had him you know from him and allowed me to step into like what kind of coaching I want to do and like what trainings I want to be trained in and what, what methods I want to incorporate into my practice. And um, yeah, like that, that was a, that was a huge question for me was how, how I turned asking how I can bring his passion into the world further to know how can I just really keep discovering and bringing mine. I love that. I love that because it's so, because he was someone with such a mission, it's so easy to be like, this mission can't die with him. 
how do I keep this going? And then realizing like, oh, it's about me keeping this going for me and incorporating everything. Like you can't be disconnected now, you know, everything he taught you and his ways of doing things. I'm sure you picked up things from him that you will forever bring into your, your coaching books, experiences, retreats, whatever it is that you do over the course of your life. I'm sure you're going to bring in things that were influenced and nudged through by him anyway. So it's like by doing you, you are honoring him as well and everything that he showed you and taught you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so inspiring. So thank you so much for who you are and for sharing so authentically. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate you again, wanting to have this conversation and have it be accessible to whoever it might make a difference for whoever it might lift up or reassure and to um, want to spread and and delegate these messages so that, um, so that it's not just for me. Like to me, one of the biggest priorities I had going into this process, it became clear to me a little bit later, but I wanted this, this thing that I've been through to make a difference for other people. And um, that's what James would have wanted to, right? Like for it to actually set free other people that he didn't even know, right? Because he just cared that he could serve as many people as he could. So um, by you giving me the container to speak about this, I get to say his name, you know, which I always love being able to like speak about James because, um, you know, he was just worth remembering. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then also providing me the container to allow James to be someone that continues to make a difference, even though he can't speak for himself anymore. And um, yeah, so thank you, not just for making this message available, but for for those reasons as well. Mm, You're so welcome. Thank you. Hey love, I hope today's episode resonated deep with you. If you loved what you heard today, let me know on Facebook or Instagram at Talia Joy Manifestation. I love seeing the screenshots of you guys listening to the show as well as your big takeaways. For real, come hang out. I am so excited to expand my tribe and connect with you always. So until the next episode, sending you so much love and light. You are rocking it. You're exactly what the world needs.